I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. You're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Well, today I want to talk about the iconic iPhone, designed in California and made everywhere else. In 43 countries, on six continents, with thousands of components. So let's find out about the iPhone supply chain. As you might expect, for one of the world's largest corporations, if not the largest, Apple has very efficient supply chain processes. Since the iPhone was introduced in 2007 as a development from the iPod Touch, remember that, just been phased out, it's kept its competitors at bay by being competitive and efficient with supply chain processes to gain the edge. Apple's supply chain strategies are one of the key reasons for the business's success and appeal to consumers, along with its marketing. Apple designed phones in California, and they purchased components from suppliers in 43 countries across six continents. And they send those parts to be assembled, and then ships complete the process to move the iPhones when they're finished, to warehouses and onto retailers all around the globe. As labor rates increase, Apple has moved some of the business back to the United States, to lower the overall total cost of ownership. But it still sources most of its components from a wide range of suppliers around the globe. Hundreds of individual parts manufactured by different suppliers. The phone camera and glass screen were built in Japan by Sony, amongst others. Elements of the battery were built in China. The accelerometer, which tracks the phone's acceleration, enabling geographic orientation, was built in Germany. And the technology for chips came from Arm, a British company, and Qualcomm. It minimizes inventory and it maximizes efficiency. Apple makes thousands of iPhones every year. Component shortages have been a problem during the COVID-19 period. And new product development has also slowed. But the company has always been keen to maintain cutting-edge technology at an affordable price, even though that affordable price is at the top end. When Tim Cook took over Apple's supply chain, he cut down the number of component suppliers from 100 to 24, and he put in competitive processes for those suppliers to gain business from Apple. He also shut down 10 of 19 Apple warehouses to prevent overstocking. So any of you thinking about buffering inventory to be resilient, think on. China was hard hit by the COVID pandemic and that caused slowdowns, lockdowns and closures of plants in Shanghai where some of the phones were assembled and it's been quite disruptive for Apple. But they've managed recently to move some of that production offshore from China to Vietnam and so they're spreading the risk. Foxconn Technology Group, which manufactures or assembles some products and parts in China, has been able to meet seasonal demand. Apple's also been concerned to ensure that its supply chain and its manufacturing processes don't take a heavy toll on the environment. The ultimate aim of the company is to recycle material and products and eliminate the need for material mining 
At present, 100% recycled tin in the logic boards of its newest phones is an example. The Environmental Responsibility Report in 2019 that Apple produced for the A11 and A12 chips used in the various phones reduced Apple's carbon footprint by 160,000 metric tonnes. These chips are outsourced from Taiwan and the Philippines, and they are the performance core of the phone. They allow 15% faster iPhone performance and on a reduced power consumption. So the ratio of performance to speed is much faster. The performance is using 40% less power to produce that 15% faster increase. Apple's also found a way to halve its carbon footprint each year. And many commentators say that that's a major feat given that 60 to 70 elements from the periodic table are used in the average smartphone. Aluminium is recycled, alloys, scrap products or scrap materials are used and uh, repurposed. And so the iPhone has become a much more sustainable product. Apple has a market capitalization of $2.75 trillion. That was in March 2022. It's an innovator in technology and millions of customers are prepared to pay top dollar for what they consider to be a quality product, quality design and the features of the iPhone. Apple puts a lot of effort into monitoring those suppliers it chooses to work with. And every year, It puts out a progress report, it's like a school report, saying how well those suppliers have actually done. And it publishes a list of its top 200 suppliers. And they account for 98% of all procurement. In Taiwan, one of the top suppliers is Foxconn, or to give it its full name, Honhai Precision Industry, Foxconn. It's one of Apple's oldest suppliers, but that of course isn't very old because Apple itself has only been manufacturing the iPhone since about 2007, although it's been manufacturing other products a bit longer. The Taiwan Foxconn organization is Apple's largest China supplier. It has 35 locations in China, India, Brazil, as well as Taiwan and Vietnam, and the United States. 29 of the 35 locations are actually in China. Brazil, there are eight locations, and one each in Texas and Vietnam. Wistron is another Taiwanese-based company, and they're helping Apple to expand into India. They produce printed circuit boards for the iPhone. Pegatron is another company from Taiwan. They have nine locations, three sites in China, and sites in Australia, Czech Republic, Japan, South Korea, Singapore, and the United States. It's similar to Foxconn in that it provides assembly services. China is a very important global region for the Apple iPhone. It accounts for 156 of the total 615 production facilities. But Apple has become increasingly concerned of its dependence on China. And that's probably for a number of reasons, including the the trade war between the United States and China that's currently in place. And of course, the COVID-19 lockdowns. Goatech and Luxia are two Chinese companies that have been in the spotlight under scrutiny. Both of these companies agreed to set up production in Vietnam 
and approve the manufacturing cost efficiency. So as the economics are changing, Apple isn't standing still. It's searching around for new opportunities and new partnerships. Luxure works with Apple to produce AirPods, has four supply locations in China and one in Vietnam. In the United States, it's still very dependent on some US companies that include 3M, Broadcom, Qualcomm, Intel, Jabil, ARM, or ON, Micron, and Texas Instruments, amongst others. And other companies such as Skyworks and Curvo, QRVO. Qualcomm and Intel have made US headlines over fierce legal actions. Qualcomm is a world leader in semiconductor, mobile, and telecom product services. Remember, Qualcomm tried to take over ARM, the UK technology company, quite recently, but was blocked. Murata, based in Kyoto, Japan, supplies Apple from 18 manufacturing facilities spread across Malaysia, Japan, Taiwan, Thailand, Vietnam, China and Singapore, with 10 sites in Japan. They produce ceramic capacitors and electronic parts that control the flow of electricity and electronic devices. They also work with Samsung, which is headquartered in Seoul, South Korea. It supplies multiple components, including flash memory for storing data, content, the mobile DRAM, DRAM, used for multitasking, various applications and devices, and the application processors responsible to control and keep devices running smoothly. The partnership with Samsung actually works quite well for Samsung as well because it enables them to get uh, some scale economies in the production of its own components. Apple imposes strict quality standards and terms of supply. The other thing that suppliers like about working with Apple is that they have a reputation for innovation and so they too can learn from the relationship with the Apple Corporation. Apple benefits from being number one in terms of market share. That means it is by far gaining the largest revenue stream from the sale of its products. It's number one with Samsung at number two. And then there's a whole list of other smartphone makers that go much lower in terms of their market share. Market share allows companies to make more profit and to reinvest And obviously, it gives them an edge when it comes to staying at the top of the list. If you've got the biggest market share, you're generating the profits to reinvest, to stay out ahead. In China alone, Apple has 16% of the market for smartphones. Now, that's quite a thing when you consider that in China, they have the capability to build all kinds of smartphones. And they do, and they sell them elsewhere in the globe under their own brand names. Apple has 22% of the global smartphone market share, while Samsung is next with about 19%. And then come Xiaomi with 12% and a list of others who have much smaller market shares. And remember, some of those bigger companies on that list, like Motorola and Nokia, at one time had most market share for mobile phones, but they've fallen away. Apple takes about 75% of the industry's profit and 40% of the revenue. That's what it does for you, being the leader. And 75% of the industry profit tells you that they're not selling those phones cheaply. 
and 40% of the revenue tells you that they're able to dominate that market. If you consider just one example, the iPhone 13 Pro retails between $999 and $1,449, but it costs only $570 to make it. So there's a considerable markup on Apple's products. If you look under the hood, as they say, and you look at the iPhone, it's primarily assembled in China by Taiwanese companies such as Foxconn that we've mentioned. And the average salary for an iPhone worker is just $10 an hour. Top earners can make $27 an hour, while workers further down the chain might make 12 Lower labour cost has obviously driven iPhone assembly and build in China. So it makes and assembles products in places where labour is cheap and in exports the finished product to markets where prices are high. You can probably see that if the iPhone was built in California and made in California as well, the cost would be much higher and it would also cost a lot more to ship it to the places where the markets are around the globe. In 2021, Apple's revenue was about $365.8 billion. Back in 2020, it was just $274.3 billion. And so it's increased during that pandemic period from 2020 to 2021 by 33.3%. In contrast, the Samsung Galaxy S21 costs about $508 to make and it retails for about $1,049. If you look at one of the new kids on the block when it comes to smartphones, Xiaomi, who I mentioned, is a Beijing-based company, and it was founded by Lei Zhang, who's the chief executive officer. They operate in four business segments, smartphones, Internet of Things, lifestyle products, Internet services, and miscellaneous products and services. They operate in TVs, vacuum cleaners, scooters, and a lot more. They went for an initial, they went for an initial offering to the market, an IPO, which put a value on the corporation at $100 billion back in July 2018. And it debuted on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, closing at 16.8 yuan or $2.14. The market capitalization, about $50 billion, half of what they'd hoped for. In 2019, that market cap figure fell further to about $28 billion. The price earnings ratio is about just under 10 at 9.53. Xiaomi as a company was only founded in 2010 and it produced its own operating system for the first smartphones in 2011. Their ambition is to become number one, so they have an ambition to uh, become the new Apple. Xiaomi is the largest smartphone maker in China, and prior to the offer back in 2016, the sales did plummet. But it's lifted itself up since then, and if you go into stores presently and look at smartphones, you'll see their brands are readily available, and they make some quite decent phones at very good prices. They generated about $25.4 billion back in 2018, and that's up 52.6% over 2017. And most of its revenue comes from smartphones, so it's that segment that's important as an earner for them. 
They sold 70 million phones in 2016 and it was down to 41 million when they plummeted in 2016. But they're back up again now. And the founder of the corporation is a billionaire. He's dubbed as the Steve Jobs of China. So already comparisons with Apple. And they also operate services for cloud storage, artificial intelligence, engines and a lot more. Not easy trying to become the biggest of the best. Another Chinese brand is Oppo, and they're made by the BPK Electronics Company. They're a major consumer electronics corporation in China, launched by the CEO Cheng Mingyong back in 2004, so they're quite a young company too. It's China's largest smartphone manufacturer. By 2016, you could find the brand everywhere in China, Oppo phones being sold in 200,000 retail outlets. Incredibly popular in India too, because of the price. It's headquartered in Dongjuan, Guangdong, southeast China, and the brand specializes in affordable mid-range handsets that boast a premium look with good design and plenty of innovative new tech. And people across the globe looking for more affordable phones are turning to Oppo to, uh, to get better value. So although lower down the food chain from Apple, it's an interesting brand and perhaps one to watch. They produce smart-looking, 5G-ready technology at a very affordable price. And the one thing that they are noted for is a good battery. They have batteries in some of those phones at 5,000 mAh and they last about 40 hours off a single charge. So the battery technology seems to be quite powerful. And some of the phones have 48 megapixels on the lens camera and 30 on the periscopic zoom with 8 megapixels on the ultra-wide lens. So you can see they're a little off the uh, Apple spec but nevertheless, still pretty good value. I think what this demonstrates is that this is a highly competitive market and it ain't going to stand still. And the new kids on the block, as they learn, are going to get better. And so for Apple and Samsung to stay ahead of the game and keep the number one and number two spot is going to be quite a struggle over time. These newer mid-range and low-range phone competitors will likely gain more market penetration during a recessionary period. And as inflation bites, they might be able to penetrate that market further. So for Apple, it's about maintaining that marketing push at the top end to ensure that consumers value their phones and the things, the, uh, the tools that they're putting on those phones. And that comprises not just the technical spec of the phone, but what the phone can actually do. So the software and keeping that software up to date. And I think what all perhaps smartphone manufacturers could look at in a little more detail is, is keeping those phones safe. So security is going to become a big issue for the personal consumer. And I think we're already starting to see that. And so phone companies that can market their phones not only on the technical spec but can maintain that technical security that's going to become an important differentiator and I think just renewing the security patches for three years is something of the past 
I think the security patches should be maintained for a much longer period. And I know that Samsung offer about five years. Apple, slightly less. And the other thing that's a disappointment on many of the high-spec phones, when you look at the high-spec phones, both at Apple, if you look at the Apple 13 Pro, and you look at the Samsung S22, they don't have an earbud connector on the phone, which is a real disappointment to some consumers who still want that. And if you think about consumers that you know have a hearing disability, then earphones are very important for them. And they don't particularly want to go out and buy a set of wireless buds to hook up to a phone. The quality, even with wireless buds, the quality is problematic and they're easily lost. So I think they're going to have to be very careful about how they take away things off these phones. And they've done it, done that under a, a slightly bogus claim in some respects about being environmentally friendly. It's really to create space on the phone for the ultra slim phones so that you can uh, inside the phone keep the uh, the bezel slim so you can keep it very slim and very thin, sleek looking. And in some respects, that might be a mistake in design. But uh, so for you guys listening out there in California doing the design, perhaps you might want to think about that when you're looking at your Apple phones next time around. And for the people in Seoul, in Korea, they may want to look at the Samsung phones and say to themselves, well, actually, we don't just want to copy Apple taking out the earphone connector and taking away the charger and, you know, downgrading the spec. Because what's happening to both of those leading suppliers is that the new kids on the block are still providing all those things and even on very slim phones. So if you want to stay ahead, provide better value. Now, both Apple and Samsung make really good phones. And for what you get price-wise, Apple's a bit on the high side. Samsung, less so. But they make great phones. And the innovation and the technology and the design is important. But as an organization, as we all know, the one thing you have to manage is not just the marketing promise, but you have to manage what goes on behind that marketing promise to fulfill those orders. And both Apple and Samsung manage their supply chains very, very efficiently. But that's not to say that other companies can't do that also. And of course, new companies have learned their business from Apple and from Samsung and from other manufacturers because, believe me, they've studied that market very carefully. And so to stay ahead of the game, and that means keeping the supply chains fast, low cost, risk managed, and it may mean if you do all those things well, it will prevent the slogan designed in Beijing, made in China. So let's return to where we started from. We began looking at the Apple iPhone and the success of that phone in terms of its supply chain and how it was put together. And we unpicked how that phone had developed. So I just want to round off looking at the success of the Apple iPhone. Apple as a corporation turned over 19.1 billion US dollars back in 2006. By 2012, it turned over $156.3 billion. And in 2021, $365.8 billion. It's been a great success, nowhere more so than in its home country. 
America generates 45% of all revenue generation and approximately 40% comes from the United States alone. So in the Americas, if we break down the 2021 numbers, the values in billions of dollars for the Americas, 153.3. In Europe, 89.3. In China, 68.3. Japan, 28.4. And the rest of Asia Pacific, 26.4. iPhone purchases and services have seen significant growth in the past five years. It's Apple's most valuable product. And since 2008 has been its main driver of revenue. Even though Apple has diversified into product lines such as watches, AirPods and services, iPhone is still responsible for 50% of the company's revenue. In the past two years, Apple launched four models of iPhone. The iPhone, the Mini, the Pro and the Max. Arguably, there are now too many. They're trying to segment the market, but the question is, are there that many segments that are going to survive or are there more to come? Double digits in growth of the iPhone from 2008 to 2015, but revenue stagnated a little bit since. More competition impacting sales. And although the new products have drawn in more customers, many customers are deciding to hold on to the phones for longer. Apple are a bit measly in providing the updates. They only provide updates for about two years. That's been extended recently to to a bit longer on some products, but that's under pressure from competition. There is increased competition they acknowledge from China, from Xiaomi, who we mentioned in the podcast, and also from Huawei. When we look at the breakdown of iPhones by region, the United States is by far the highest number with 84.3 million, Europe 56.1 million, China 42.9 million, Japan 17.8 million, and the rest of the world 40.9 million. Back in 2008, there were just 10 million active units of the iPhone. It more than doubled in the first year to 25 million by 2009 and almost going into exponential growth beyond that when we look at 2010, 60 million. But today, if we look at 2021 numbers, it's 1,231 million. So massive increase. So it's by far the world's most popular smartphone. 211 million of those smartphones are, of course, in the United States. And in the first quarter of 2022, Apple still have mouthwatering numbers for the iPhone. 56.5 million unit sales, 17.4% of the smartphone market, and 71.6 billion US dollars in revenue from worldwide sales. So no sign of slowing down just yet then. Designed in California, made everywhere else in the world. That's where we started. Six continents, 43 countries, possibly more. It's a growing list. The things that Apple do well, they run those efficient supply chains, they spread the risk, they move things around, they keep costs low, the production costs are driven down, and that gives them headroom to market the product and to be profitable. So lessons others could learn. And that's it for this special episode looking at the Apple iPhone supply chain and smartphones in general. So I'll see you next time. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.
You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.